This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, we're shy on time tonight, so it's straight to the action. And we begin with The Creepy Whistler, and a show that was first aired in 1950, entitled The Strange Meeting. And now, stay tuned for the program that has rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. S-I-T-N-A-L Signal Signal Gasoline Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, the Whistler. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story. Strange Meeting. questioning was over, and the prefect of police was smiling triumphantly. He no longer regretted leaving his bed and hurrying through the rain-swept streets of Paris to the tiny prison on the outskirts of the city. There was little doubt of the suspect's guilt in connection with the death in an abandoned building just off the rue aboard. A policeman had caught the man running from the scene of the crime. The murder weapon had been found in his pocket. Paraffin tests had shown that he'd fired the gun. Ballistics proved the bullet found in the victim had been fired from the suspect's gun. But there was more to the case, a great deal more. From the facts he'd already learned, the prefect could trace the beginning of the incident back to the seemingly routine arrival of a commercial plane from Lisbon earlier in the week. The plane was late as it circled the field. So was the hour. And the landing field looked very inviting to Wally Fraser, freelance news photographer, 
and almost anything else that would bring him a welcome dollar. He was pleased that the trip was over. Paris meant rest and relaxation to him. There was another reason, too, a very attractive reason, seated just across the aisle. Wally had tried to strike up an acquaintance with the girl early in the trip, but because of her cold, indifferent stares, he'd given up. As the plane landed and taxied to a stop at the unloading ramp, he received a startling surprise. He was picking up his camera when she hesitated at the door of the plane, turned and grabbed him. Oh, darling, I'm sorry. It's goodbye. But, but... <laughs> Until we meet again. But, Excuse me. But, let me hey, hey, wait a minute. What? Hey, did you see that, mister? All the way from Lisbon, the dame won't let out a peep, and then she rushes up and kisses uh, me. It is the effect of the city, monsieur. Paris, the gay, the exciting. Yeah. Uh, why do I ever leave? <laughs> Excuse me, monsieur. Excuse me. I gotta go after her. You hurry through the crowd after the girl. Reach the passenger waiting room. She's nowhere in sight, is she, Wally? You've lost her. You're still annoyed and wondering as you claim your baggage and arrange for it to be sent to your hotel. Outside, you hail a cab. Hotel Metropole, driver. Oui, monsieur. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Huh? There she is. I see her. Ah, oui. Wait, monsieur. What is wrong? What? Well, the young lady, her companions, they are the police. Police? Oui. And they're taking her in the car. You wish to follow your friend, monsieur? Or is it still the hotel? Ah, it's the hotel. Uh, oui. I'm tired. I've been in enough trouble the past few weeks. Uh, oui, monsieur. Come on, don't you think I mean it? I said the hotel. Oui, monsieur. You know best. But you can't get the girl out of your mind, can you, Wally? In the taxi cab, and after you arrive at the hotel, her face haunts you. And only complete weariness keeps you from lying awake, thinking about it further. The next morning, she's completely out of your mind. Until you make the discovery. The envelope in the pocket of your overcoat. Even as you tear it open, you know that she must have put it there during that moment when she kissed you and then ran off. The envelope contains a negative of some kind, doesn't it? But it's nothing like anything that you use in your work, is it, Wally? Your curiosity aroused, you go downstairs for a quick breakfast, make an inquiry at the hotel desk, and then walk several blocks to a small laboratory across the street from a medical building. A weary, seemingly disinterested lab attendant gives you the answer. An X-ray, Phil, monsieur. That is what this is. Just ordinary X-ray? That is right. Yeah, I will see what it is. Put it on the light frame. Mm Mm-hmm. A skull. A man's head. This man has some sort of a plate in his head, you see? Yeah. Uh, would that be his name there in the corner? No, no. That is the name of the doctor who made the X-ray. Uh, Salazar. It looks like Dr. Salazar. Uh-huh. Also, the date he took it. I... Uh, you were saying? Uh, nothing. I... Excuse me for a minute, will you? I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. You stare after the attendant curiously as he steps out of the room. There was an odd expression on his face, wasn't there, Wally? Very odd. You move after him quietly, open the door to the adjoining office, and hear him dialing the phone. Hello, hello? Police! Vite! Police! 
You whirl on the attendant's words, cross the room, and hastily remove the X-ray film from the frame and put it in your pocket. As you start to leave, the attendant blocks your way. And now, as I was saying, monsieur... I'm sorry, Jack. Everything's been said. Everything but this. Now I'll look into this little deal that's so interesting to the police. It's interesting to you, too, isn't it, Wally? This strange matter of the X-ray film, so interesting to the Paris police. It began when you stepped off the plane from Lisbon. You know that it's somehow connected with a mysterious girl who kissed you and then hurried away to try and lose herself in the crowd at the airport. You're sure that she planted the X-ray film in your pocket, but you don't know why or what it means. It's enough to send the lab attendant scurrying to his telephone and then trying to prevent you from leaving his office. You don't like it. And back in your hotel, there's something more that you don't like. The appearance of your room. It's been ransacked from floor to ceiling, and everything is a shambles. You stare around you, wondering, and then hear someone go past in the hall outside. By the time you can open the door and look out, she's reached the end of the hall. But it's the same girl, isn't it, Wally? The same girl who kissed you on the plane. You're sure she didn't see you. So you race down the lobby in time to see her leave the hotel and enter another one directly across the street. There, she puts through a call on one of the room phones in the lobby. Unnoticed, you stand close by, hide behind a newspaper and listen. Roommate 12, please. Yes, thank you. Hello? Hello, Mr. Sidney. This is Marta Varney. I just arrived. What? Oh, then you read about it. Yes, that end of it is closed. Dr. Salazar won't interfere with us. No, I haven't got it with me right now. I only wanted you to know I was here and that we'll be able to make the deal soon. Yes, I'll get in touch with you. Goodbye, Mr. Sidney. Oh, sorry if I kept you waiting for this for... Hello, honey. Your turn to be surprised, huh? If you don't mind, I... Oh, but I do mind. You're not going anyplace. That is, not until we talk. There's nothing to talk about, Mr... Uh, Frazier. The few friends I have call me Wally. That's fine, Mr. Frazier. Oh, you don't want to be friendly, huh? Well, I'm not surprised. Not after the way you tore my room up. Uh, this what you were looking for? Give that to me. Oh, no, no. Not so fast. <laughs> Isn't it easy? It's just a... Negative of a picture of my aunt. She's oh, 73. And likes to tell fairy tales just like you. <laughs> no, honey, I take pictures for a living, and this is an X-ray. <laughs> All right. But it still belongs to my aunt. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> you don't give up easy. But you wouldn't. Not when you can think fast enough to get rid of it the way you did when the police showed up. The police? Uh-huh. I saw him take you away at the airport. Now, come on. Tell Uncle Wally what it's all about, huh? Who's knocking if we got a picture of? And what happened to dear old Dr. Salazar? Will you give it back to me? Uh, maybe. Come on. The bar's a good place to talk. 
But I've already told you, Mr. Fraser. The X-ray film was given to me. I was instructed to bring it here to Paris. But it's very important to you and the police. Or you wouldn't have slipped it into my pocket when you saw the cops. Yes. It's important. Why? Why is it important? Because... Well, you're a stranger here. So I might as well tell you the truth. Good. It proves that a man named Duguay is still alive. Duguay? Yes. France's former public enemy, number one. An international swindler, gangster, a murderer. He was believed to have died in an explosion some years ago. And just how does an X-ray prove he's alive? The silver plate in his skull? Yes, the design is so unusual. It's as if the surgeon who performed the operation had placed his signature on it. No other one like it, huh? Nowhere in the world. The case was written up in medical journals many times. There were photographs of the Duguayne X-ray. I checked Dr. Salazar's X-ray against them very carefully. There's no mistaking it. Okay. And now that you've stopped telling fairy tales, how did you get hold of the x-ray? There was an automobile accident in Lisbon three weeks ago. A man, unconscious, was taken into a Dr. Salazar's office. I... I was the doctor's assistant. And he took the x-ray, only Dugane didn't know about it. He knows now. Ah, I see. <laughs> the shakedown. He pays off or the X-ray goes to the cops. That's neat. That's very neat. That uh, X-ray ought to be worth a lot of dough. That's right. How much is Dugain good for? My contact with Mr. Dugain says Dugain is a very wealthy, respected citizen now. Uh-huh. What uh, name does Dugain go under? Nobody knows that except my contact. How do you get in touch with Dugain? If I knew, Mr. Fraser, do you think me foolish enough to tell you? <laughs> no. Hmm. But, uh... Maybe your partner could. Partner? Your contact, Mr. Sidney. Mr. Sidney? Yeah, I overheard you talking to Mr. Sidney on the phone just now. Oh, I see. Look, sweetheart, we got a good deal here, except for one thing. How do we get to this guy, Duguayne? You think you could persuade Mr. Sidney to give me that information? What do you have in mind, Mr. Frazier? What's your deal with Sidney? What percentage? How'd you like to split 50-50? We could cut off Mr. S, set up a partnership of our own, the two of us. That would be dangerous. Our partnership? No. Eliminating Mr. Sidney. No, we could try. Yes. We could. Well, how about it? I don't know. Take it over, Marta. Um, in the meantime, I'll just hold on to the film, huh? You can give me your answer tonight. At dinner. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's a quiet little place just around the corner. Candlelight, good wines, excellent food. <laughs> there always is in Paris. All right. Oh, and another thing. Mm -hmm. How do you know Dr. Salazar won't remember those medical magazine articles about Duguayne and the plate in his skull? Dr. Salazar is dead. Oh. An accident? Yes. What kind of an accident? He was killed with a pair of scissors. Why do you ask? Uh, no reason. I just wondered. Hello? Mr. Sidney, this is your new partner. Partner? Partner? I'm afraid I don't understand. Well, we're in business, Mr. Sidney, the two of us, with uh, 
an X-ray film. Do you think Mr. Dugain will be interested? Oh, I see. I see. Uh, yes, I dare say he will be. Definitely, sir. Good. Then let's talk. I'm calling from the lobby now. I think we could talk better in your room. Yes, indeed, sir. Come right up. Come in, sir. Come in. <laughs> Did I interrupt a game of solitaire? Oh, quite all right, sir. Quite all right. I was bored. In Paris? <laughs> Sit down. Sit down. Thank you. Brandy? Uh, yes, thanks. You're an American? Oh, better than that. I'm a native of Dallas. Oh, are you now? Well, well. <laughs> Water, Mr. Uh, uh, don't ruin the brandy. Uh, the name is Fraser. Wally Fraser. There you are, sir. Thank you. Now, Mr. Fraser. Well, let's uh, get right to the point, huh? Precisely, sir. To the point. To shake down Citizen Dugain, you'll need a certain X-ray. Right? May I ask, sir, how did you come to know... Your partner, Miss Varney, she told me all about it. Oh, I see. Uh, don't blame her too much. She didn't mean to tell me anything. The pressure was on. She had to get rid of the X-ray temporarily. Good thing she did. The cops would have grabbed her. Yes. Yes, go on, Mr. Fraser. What else did she tell you? Well, uh, not much more. That's the trouble. So you want to do business with me? Right. We uh, cut Martavani out of the deal, split it uh, 50-50. I'm afraid it's not that simple, sir. Miss Varney could be dangerous. Huh? If we were to, as you put it, cut her out of the deal, she might very well get word to Dugain. She knows how to get to Dugain? Of course. Oh, I see. She told you she didn't. Yeah. Yes, and that's why you came to me. I'm glad you did, Mr. Fraser. Uh, so am I. <laughs> now? You don't trust women, do you? Oh, not since I was in high school. I... Let a sophomore borrow my yo-yo, and she tied a knot in the string. <laughs> Mr. Fraser. Yeah? When can I have the X-ray film? Uh, soon as you set up the contact with Dugain, we'll go to the payoff together. Fair enough. In the meantime, however... There's Marta Varney. Precisely, sir. We've a good thing here. Big payoff. Mr. Dugain can well afford to pay enough for that X-ray to keep us for years. But he's also a killer. We must be careful. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. But uh, how do we cut Miss Varney out of the deal? We can't be squeamish, sir. After all, Miss Varney is a murderess. Killed Dr. Salazar, you know. Yeah, she did, didn't she? Uh, how do we do it? How it's done isn't important, Mr. Fraser. We'll leave that up to the one who does the job, eh? Oh, now, now, wait a minute. One I, uh... of us must do it, Mr. Fraser. Well, yes, but I, I... We'll cut for the honor, sir. That's fair, is it not? Well, I, I don't know. I... Come, Mr. Fraser, you said we were partners. Cut. Well, sir. Okay. Queen. <laughs> Seven of diamonds. Well, it's up to me, sir. I shall arrange a meeting with the girl tonight. Uh, Miss, Miss Varney and I are going to dinner together. Excellent. Where? Julian. Good. After dinner, you will take a stroll along the Rue de Celestin toward the river. The street becomes narrow, dark, a block beyond the carousel. I will be there. Okay. A block beyond the merry-go-round. But, uh, Mr. Sidney, don't try pulling a fast one. If anything happens to be, you'll never get that x-ray. 
I won't have it with me. Naturally not, Mr. Fraser. I'm sure you're much too careful. Where are we going, Mr. Fraser? Uh, no place in particular. Huh? Thought a stroll would do us both good after a dinner like the one we've had. <laughs> it was excellent. So I must say you were rather quiet through it all. Uh, what's that? Mm. Things on your mind? Uh, yeah, yeah. You haven't asked me yet if I've decided about our partnership. Well, I, I hate to discuss business at dinner. I see. Oh, look up ahead. It's merry-go-round. Shall we, Mr. Fraser? Marta. Hmm? How about that partnership? Well, I thought it over very carefully, Mr. Fraser. Very carefully. Let's turn back. We've got to talk. There's nothing to talk about, really. Let's go on. I want to see the river. No, forget it. I, I insist, Mr. Fraser. What? Hey, wait a minute. What? That's a gun in my coat pocket, Wally, darling. I won't hesitate to pull the trigger. So that's your answer. It is. I have decided not to enter a partnership with you. Prefer to take your cut with Mr. Sidney? <laughs> Wrong again. I'm not splitting anything with him, either. Oh. Going all out on your own, huh? That's it, Wally. That's exactly it. Now, shall we continue our stroll? Okay. Hmm. Uh, aren't you forgetting one thing? You can't make a deal with Dugane unless you have the X-ray. I intend to get it from you. You think I'm carrying it around in my hat band? I know where it is. I followed you this afternoon, saw you put it in a postal box. You will give me the key, won't you? Will I? Of course. If you don't, I'll simply take it. And then what happens? I wind up in the river? Perhaps. I haven't decided yet. Keep walking, Mr. Frazier. Straight ahead. It's ironic, isn't it, Wally? At the point of a gun, Marta forces you to walk a block beyond the carousel, straight into the trap you and Mr. Sidney had planned for her. Suddenly, Mr. Sidney steps out of the darkness. There's the flash of the knife, and Marta Varney lies dead at your feet. You stare down at her and then feel a tugging at your sleeve. You turn and hurry away with Mr. Sidney. And then later, in a small bar, he explains the next move. I have already made the arrangement, sir. We will meet Monsieur Dugain's courier in half an hour just off the Rue Labor. The Rue Labor, huh? Okay. You are um, sure he's got it straight? He has, sir. When we meet, you are to give him the key to the postal box where the X-ray is. Yeah. In return, he will hand over the money. Right. <laughs> I sort of like that arrangement, don't you, Mr. Sidney? The uh, <laughs> cautious approach. All-around protection. Huh? <laughs> Quite right, sir. <laughs> Shall we drink up? You smile back at Mr. Sidney as you raise your glass. He doesn't know what's in store for him, does he? Once you have completed the transaction with Dugain's courier and gotten the money... You know that you can take care of Sidney and have all the money for yourself. You find you're not the least bit sorry about having to kill him. Perhaps it's because of Marta Varney. He's disposing of her the way that he did. 
Yes. Somehow that makes it easier for you to kill him. To us, Mr. Fraser, to our partnership and to many years of good living on Monsieur Dugain's money. <laughs> to us, Mr. Sidney, and to Monsieur Dugain. Yeah. And now, how about keeping our appointment with new Dugain's courier, huh? <laughs> Questioning was over, and the prefect of police was smiling triumphantly as he handed the signed murder confession and a postal box key to one of his assistants. After the prisoner had been led away, the prefect waited patiently for his assistant to return with the contents of the postal box. Then, upon his return, the prefect examined the X-ray and smiled with satisfaction. He then pulled his coat about him and stepped out into the rainy streets of Paris and hurried back to his house. And there, standing before the fireplace, his hands clasped behind his back, he unfolded the story to his wife as she prepared his morning coffee. Finally, the narrative over, he sat down at the table. Just think, Hortense, three killings over an X-ray, blackmail. <laughs> when will these fools learn when? But, René, how was it the killer confessed so quickly? It was his only hope for leniency. After all, we caught him running from the scene of the crime. Oh. Ballistics proved his gun fired the shot. His only hope of avoiding the guillotine was to cooperate with the police. Then uh, this American, this Monsieur Fraser... Never found out the truth. Ah. Monsieur Sidney killed him before Fraser had a chance to learn that Monsieur Sidney and Dugain are one. The same person. The X-ray film found in the postal box proves it beyond any doubt. That whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on The Whistler, the address to which to send it is the Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles 55, California. All limericks become the property of the Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on The Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives, on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's story were Bill Foreman, William Conrad, Betty Lou Gerson, and John Hoyt. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Joel Malone, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Remember at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. S-I-G-N-A-L Signal Signal Gasoline 
Stay tuned for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for two guys who were at the top of their game when this show was first aired in 1949. It's the new, the great, the different, the Martin and Lewis show. The National Broadcasting Company brings you the new Martin and Lewis show. Our guest tonight, Lucille Ball, and featuring Eileen Woods, Flo McMichael, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are two young men who, overnight, have become the nation's comedy hit. But let's get on with the show. We take you now to the apartment of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, where we find the boys getting ready, somewhat nervously, to go to the NBC studios for their first radio show. There's a tree in the meadow with a stream drifting by. Answer the phone, Jerry, I'm tying my tie. <laughs> okay, Dean, there's a tree in the meadow with a stream drifting by. I could never be a big singer like Crosby. Well, why not? I sound too much like Dean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it must be NBC again. What cowards we are. Why are we afraid to do our own radio show? After all, how big an egg can we lay? How big? Well, if we took a large hen and got it to hold back for two years... All right, Jerry, all right. <laughs> We've been acting like two frightened mice all day. We've got an ironclad contract to do the show. we got to talk to NBC sometime. You're right. I'm not a frightened mouse. Answer the phone. <laughs> Oh, come on, Jerry, you answer it. Dean Martin, I will tell you why I will not answer the phone. Indubitably, that is a call from NBC. And it is indubitably they want to know where the H-E-C-K we are because they are spending thousands and thousands of dollars and money <laughs> to build a sensational comedy and musical extravaganza around us. And if they think we are that important, why don't they call us? Jerry, they are calling us. Who else could it be besides NBC? Well, it could be a wrong number, a quiz show. Hey, a quiz show. They give you money just for answering a few questions. Give me that phone. Hello, 1492 Marie Antoinette and sulfuric acid. Ship the money. <laughs> now, come on, Jerry. We got to get down to NBC right away. Let's go. Bing. Yeah? I'm scared. Look, we've done all right so far. We shouldn't be afraid. We did all right in nightclubs, didn't we? Yeah, but those people pay $10 cover charge, so they had to like us. But at a radio show, the audience gets in free, and at those prices, they can afford to hate us. <laughs> because there's nothing cheaper than something that doesn't cost very much. I always say. Indubitably, but uh, come on, Jerry, get dressed. Okay, I shall wear my new sport coat, which the man said was good for town or country and just perfect for the beach. What is it, Gabardine? No, wet sand. <laughs> Jerry, you're just stalling. That's impossible.
impossible. Stalin's a big man in Russia, and Russia's a big country full of places like Veldastavostok. And... <laughs> they laughed. And Dnieper. And he's a big, important man. And if he thinks I'm impersonating him, he'll get mad and come and get me and send me to Siberia. And it's full of ice and snow and sleet. And Dean... Yeah? I'm cold. <laughs> Jerry, you and I are going to NBC and do that program. What are you scared of? When we played the Copacabana in New York, they laughed at us. When we played the Chaperie in Chicago, they laughed at us. And when we came out here and asked for a radio job... They laughed at us. <laughs> they didn't laugh at us. They signed us up. They want us. Jerry, we got to do this radio show. Who knows? This could make us famous. Yeah, famous. We could even become important actors. Yeah, important actors. Our names in lights, celebrities, stars in pictures. Yeah, names in lights, celebrities, stars in pictures. I can see it all. Big hits in nightclubs. We're famous. Everybody wants us. Hal Wallace signs us for a Paramount picture. NBC signs us for a radio show. We flop. <laughs> Nobody wants us. Hal Wallace won't speak to us. Paramount hates us. We spend our savings. We can't get work. We're tramping the streets, starving. We stop and press our noses against the bakery window. Dean. Why? I'm hungry. <laughs> Tell me, Jerry, did uh, Whitaker Chambers ever hide any papers in your head? <laughs> well, it ain't my fault. I don't have my head with me all the time, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, let's answer it. Hello? Hello. Who is this speaking, please? Jerry. Jerry, you have to take the phone off of the hook. Yeah, when did they do that? <laughs> okay. Hello? Why aren't you guys down here at NBC? They're going nuts down here. Oh, it's our agent. Well, it's not your maiden aunt in Minneapolis. <laughs> Everyone's waiting to do the program. You guys are messing up the whole thing. Now, listen, I can explain everything. Good. Start with you. <laughs> now, listen, boys, don't ruin everything. This radio show means a lot to us. Your careers, my commission. You think I don't care about the show? I do. After all, I gotta live, too. I can think of a loophole in that argument. <laughs> Ooh, how you aggravate me. Okay, Abby, we'll be right down there. We can't leave yet, Jerry. I gotta rehearse my number. It's a romantic number. I wish I had a girl to sing it to, you know, to get me in the mood. I'll be a girl if you'll promise to respect me. <laughs> <laughs> sing to me. I'm a great movie star and a princess of far-off India. Really? What princess of India are you? Rita Hayworth. You're, you're Rita Hayward, but you're not even on the road to being a princess of India Maybe I'm not on the road, but I'm sure following the right alley <laughs> see, see, the idea of this gag, see, the idea of this gag is that, well, alley is an alley in the street, see, A-L-L-E-Y But when you say alley, A-L-I, that's like the prince that is gonna marry Rita Hayward It's all combined into one joke, and it's so funny, this kind of... Look how they're staring at me. <laughs> See, Dean? Everybody hates me! Ah, uh, Jerry, relax. Have faith in me. We'll do all right on the radio show. That's all right for you to say, but I haven't thought up any jokes to tell the people. Oh, you'll think of something. What about me? I haven't even rehearsed my song. I don't even know if I'm in good voice. Well, go ahead, sing. Give yourself a clue. <laughs> Thank you. 
Cause you won't be satisfied till you break my heart. You're never satisfied till a tear drops dark. I've tried to shower you with love and kisses. But all I ever get from you is nagging and bragging, the poor heart is sagging, the way you toss my heart around, a crying shame, well I'll bet you wouldn't like it, if I did the same, you're only happy, tearing all my dreams apart. You won't be satisfied till you break my heart. Oh, you won't be satisfied till you break my heart. You're never satisfied till the tear drops dark. I'll try to shower you with love and kisses. Ah, but all I ever get from you is nagging and bragging, my poor heart is sagging, the way you toss my heart around, it's a crying shame, well I'll bet you wouldn't like it, if I did the same, you're only happy, tearing all my dreams apart. You won't be satisfied until you break my heart. Dean, I know you want my opinion of your rendition, and I cannot tell a lie. It was magnificent. Ah, well, come on, let's go Oh, not so fast Let me take a look at you first Stand up Wash your hands Yes, partner Wash your face Yes, sir Behind your ears Look, I'm just going to a broadcast I'm not going to get married (laughs) Anyway, what about you? Did you bathe? Of course, I take a bath every day You take a bath every day? (laughs) Well, of course Oh, Dean I'm so unworthy of you 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 talk like that What'll people think? When was the last time you took a bath? In a tub? (laughs) Yes With soap? Yes With water? Yes Oh, Dean, I'm so unworthy of you (laughs) Oh, let's get out of this apartment and go to NBC Who is it? It's the maid (laughs) I have to come in and clean the apartment Well, okay, come on in We're just leaving anyway Gee, look at the load of equipment she's carrying I never saw such a stack of stuff in my life Here, let me help you before you drop it, miss I can put it down myself, thank you (laughs) Now let me help you with the other armful my goodness, just look at the condition of this room. Huh? What's the matter with it? It's clean. 
Well, that's a break for you, then. You have no work to do. I don't have any work to do. That's fine. I'm the maid, and I'm supposed to clean the apartments every day. And if your apartment isn't dirty, then I don't have to clean it. And if I don't have to clean your apartment, I won't have anything to do for a half hour. So I'll go out in the hall, and I'll light a cigarette, and the manager will smell the smoke, and he'll come up to me, and he'll say, What are you doing smoking a cigarette in the hall? And I'll say, I haven't anything to do right now. And he'll say, Why aren't you cleaning the apartments? And I'll say, I didn't have to clean the apartments. And he'll say, Oh, you don't have to clean the apartments, huh? And he'll get mad and fire me, and all because your apartment is clean. <laughs> it's people like you that cause unemployment. <laughs> Miss, there's one thing I don't understand. What's that? Are you for real? (laughs) (laughs) Miss, we're not trying to get you fired. Do the best you can. We have to leave. Come on, Jerry, let's go. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Now what? There's a discrepancy in the bathroom. A what? (laughs) (laughs) One of you has to get married. The towels say his and hers, and you're a his and his. Okay, okay, look, just put in two hises. That'll fix it. Oh, it's not as simple as that. If I give you another his, then I'll have an extra hers. And at the end of the week, I'll have 148 hises and 149 herses. And the manager won't know why there's more herses than hises because he doesn't know how many hises and cheeses there are in the building anyway. <laughs> Okay, take all the towels out, all of them. From now on, we'll dry on newspapers. Well, the next thing on my list is dusting. I'll start with a dresser. Don't touch that bottom drawer. Why not? Because that's where I keep my kittens. Hey, not the top drawer either. What's in the top drawer? Catnip. (laughs) Well, what's to prevent the cats in the bottom drawer from going up to the top drawer and eating the catnip? In the middle drawer, bulldogs. <laughs> My, you're odd people. <laughs> we ain't odd. We're entertainers. We're Martin and Lewis, and we got a radio show to do in a few minutes. Oh, you're on the radio. What do you do? Well, one of us is a singer. And the other guy's the funniest comedian you ever heard. Tells big jokes, kills the people, gets big laughs. Which is which? <laughs> well, come on, Jerry. Let's go to NBC. inside the studio in a few moments. Come on, Miranda, stand in line over here. Well, all right, but I don't understand, Henrietta. Who are Martin and Lewis? Well, my goodness, where have you been, Miranda? Well, they're famous. Oh? My husband was the conductor on the train they came out here on, and he heard that the greatest entertainers New York ever saw were Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Who told your husband that, Henrietta? Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Pardon me, ladies. Can you tell me how to get into the Martin and Lewis show? Oh, stand behind us, young man, and we'll get the best seats. You know, we always come to see these new comedians the very first week because usually they don't last for a second week. <laughs> they don't, huh? Well, you don't know Martin and Lewis. They're the best comedians in the world, and I say that for two reasons. Bread and butter. <laughs> 
You know, I'm anxious to see that handsome Dean Martin. <laughs> you know, Miranda, that, that Dean Martin's just a whole show as far as I'm concerned. He really has talent. Now, wait a minute, lady. It takes two to make a team, you know. Takes two to make a team, Martin and Lewis. That's the team. They got to stick together. That's the way it is with any team. Without Fibber, where would Molly be? Without Kaiser, where would Fraser be? And without Earl Warren, where would... Uh, what was that guy's name again? <laughs> okay, Jerry, I parked the car. Hey, what are you doing in this line? <gasps> oh, it's with Dean Martin! Uh, hello, ladies. Oh, isn't he handsome? <laughs> What are you going to sing tonight, Mr. Martin? I'd like to get you on a slow boat to China. It's a deal. Get the tickets and I'll meet you at the door. Oh, Come on, Jerry. Let's go into the studio here. Let's go into the studio here, Jerry. people in here, Dean. I'm scared. Here's Dean Martin. I'm your producer, Mr. Martin. I'm your director, Mr. Martin. I'm your manager, Mr. Martin. I'm your singer, Mr. Martin. I'm your producer, Mr. Martin. I'm your director, Mr. Martin. I'm your leader, Mr. Martin. I'm your singer, Mr. Martin. What am I, the Larry Parks of this outfit? Ah, <laughs> uh, be quiet, Jerry. I gotta rehearse. Oh, now I gotta be quiet. You're a big star. A big man. You're too important, important for me. My tongue got in the way of my eye tooth. I couldn't see what I was saying. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just too important for me. Well, I don't need a house to fall on me. Goodbye, pal. <laughs> I won't be a drag on you. Ah, I'm sorry it had to end like this. We had a lot of good times together. Even if I always did have to take the ugly ones. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jerry. Jerry, your feelings are just hurt, that's all. Oh, my feelings ain't hurt. I'm happy. I can laugh. <laughs> I'll never forget you, Dean. You go on without me. And good luck, old pal. I won't ever be jealous of your success. When you're a big star and run over me in your big imported car, I'll still be happy. I'll just lay there and think, gee, Vogue tires. <laughs> well, I'll go now. You people don't want me here. I'll be seeing you. Oh, poor Jerry. Why do you let him go away like that? Oh, Jerry will be all right. Let's rehearse. <clears throat> and now I would like to present one of Hollywood's most glamorous stars, currently gracing your neighborhood screens in Sorrowful Jones, a charming actress who gracefully combines the talents of a leading lady and comedian... Now, listen here, Dean Martin. Don't you say anything nice about me, you big bully, you you monster. I'll have you know that I'm Wait I a minute, the... wait a minute. Why, you are Lucille Ball. <laughs> but, but what's the matter, Lucille? Don't act like you don't know. You've got some nerve, Dean Martin, asking me to come down here and be a guest on your radio program after the way you beat up that sweet, adorable little Jerry Lewis. Why, uh, if I weren't a perfect lady, I'd slug you. The idea, beating up that darling, cute, lammy pie. Me? Yes, you, Dean Martin. <laughs> well, Jerry, hey, hey, where'd he go? He's behind me, where he'll be safe. 
He's not going to stay out here where you can knock him down again. Knock him down? Yes, and kicking him and throwing dirt in his face and trying to drive your car over him. I did that? See, Lucille, he admits it. Oh, I get it. Jerry told you that story. Yes, he did. I never met anyone so contemptible as you in my whole life. How could you treat Jerry that way? He's so darling and so cute. You forgot Lammy Pie. <laughs> Just exactly what did Jerry tell you I did to him? He told me the whole story. It's incredible to me that you could pick on a little fella like that when you have such a grand physique. Uh, I mean, when, when you're so much bigger than he is, with all those great, big, powerful muscles. <laughs> you, you, big... Yes? <laughs> and, and the things you called him It's just hard to imagine names like that being spoken by you Why, you have that wonderful, soft, caressing voice Yes Lucille, hey Lucille <laughs> Will you stop tugging at my skirt? I just wanted you to know I'm still here Lewis is the name, Jerry Lewis they call me Don't stop Lucille, tell him off, good all right. <laughs> You're right. Dean Martin, how could you have slugged poor Jerry when you look so, so handsome with those soft eyes and long, long lashes? Yes? Hey, Lucille! Shut up, you little schnook. <laughs> schnook! Me, schnook! The idea telling those awful fibs about this darling, cute, lammy pie, Dean Martin. I ought to turn you over my knee and spank you. Ding, ding. Yes? <laughs> ding, are you going to stand there and let her talk to me like that? Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, but really, he isn't bad at all, Lucille. In fact, he's a very nice guy. In fact, he's a wonderful guy. Why, Jerry is the important half of our act. He's the talent. Why, he's the one who gets all the laughs. He's the one the critics rave about. He's the one the people love. Oh, what a ham. <laughs> well, uh, it's sure nice of you to come down tonight and help us get, on our, get, get our first show started, Lucille. I figured we need plenty of advice, advice here in Hollywood. Come on, snap out of it. <laughs> Dean, I'm sure you're going to be very successful. Well, how about Jerry? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> You'll see. I'm going to be a big star. When I make my first picture, I'll be sensational. I'll be... Well, you do think I'll be a picture star, don't you, Lucille? Why not? Lassie made it. <laughs> if you're going to make fun of me, I'll quit the show. I'll give... I'll give... I'll give... Uh... <laughs> I'll give Dean all the money we've saved And I'll go home and lock myself in a closet Kick my heels And hold my breath until I die And if you want to know why I do these things It's because, listen <laughs> Well, don't get too desperate, Jerry Look, I, I have planned a little party for you and Dean after the show uh, Lots of important people will be there Well, that's wonderful, Lucille Well, the only thing, Dean uh, Does Jerry know how to act at a party? Do I know how to act at a party? Why, one time in the back room of a barbershop... Jerry! <laughs> Hold it. You see what I mean? Miss Ball, 
Now... <laughs> Paul, Mr. Martin, I would like to inform you that Gerald Lewis, when attempting a social event, attending a social event... <laughs> What do you want? <laughs> Miss Ball and Mr. Martin, when I, I'd like to inform you that Gerald Lewis, when attending a social event, always conducts himself with complacent, elegant simplicity, utterly devoid of ostentation. <laughs> Jerry Lewis, where did you get words like that? Don't ask me, I'm just as surprised as you are. <laughs> Gee, I hope there's a girl there for me. Lucille, I like him about my height. Well, let's see now. Betty Grable will be there. And, of course, I like him about my age. Uh-huh. Well, Anne Blythe will be there. And I like him to be of my intelligence. Sorry, Margaret O'Brien can't stay out that late. <laughs> Jerry, I, I hope you understand. I've invited important people. People of refinement, breeding, culture. Don't worry about me. Refinement and breeding and culture pour out of me like sweat off a horse's neck. <laughs> Lucille, don't worry. I'll guarantee Jerry. Well, I don't know. I'm afraid he'll be a little raucous. Raucous? Me? Don't ever worry about Jerry Lewis being raucous. I'll make more noise than anyone there. Uh, now, Lucille... If you'll just tell us the address of the party And, uh, by the way, Lucille, uh, shall we dress? Naturally, we don't want the cops <laughs> Oh, the party sounds like it'll be a lot of fun, Lucille And, uh, I'm sure we'll know exactly what to do Sure, we've been educated You know, I worked my way through Harvard What? Well, he did stumble his way through high school He looks more like he had to shoot his way out of kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this, Lucille Well, uh, my house isn't one of those elaborate Hollywood mansions, Dean Oh, there's one thing, Jerry If we decide to go in for a dip Be sure you don't go in the servant's swimming pool <laughs> I'm sorry to butt in, but we go on the air in 30 seconds Okay, fine Are you nervous, Jerry? Me? Nervous? <laughs> seconds. I'll be all right. I'll kill the people. Fifteen seconds. Just let me at them. Ten seconds. I'll fracture them. Five seconds. Four seconds. Three. Two. I'll pulverize them. The Martin and Lewis show is on the air. Go ahead, Jerry. Start talking. Yes, sir. A very funny thing happened to me on the way to the studio. Well, come on, Lucille. Help me hold Jerry up and we'll do the song. Okay. Up. Up he goes. If you got it, you don't need it. If you need it, you don't got it. You don't get it. Shame on you. Funny, funny, funny what money can do. Ask the rich man, he'll confess. Money can't buy. Happiness. Ask a poor man, <laughs> he don't doubt. But he'd rather be miserable with than without. I love life and I want to live. I love life and I say, Jerry, I don't care. Jerry, 
Yeah, but I love life I know, but you don't have to spoil it for the rest of us If you spend it Please be wiser If you save it You're a miser If you don't want it You're cuckoo Funny, funny, funny what money to be home in bed. And, Dean, I'm sorry I messed up our radio program tonight. Ah, forget it, Jerry. It's past midnight. Better get some sleep. Good night. Good night. Well, who could that be? What do you want? It's me, the maid. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you'll have to get out of those beds. Get out of bed? Why? Well, you see, those beds are six by three beds. And this afternoon, I made a mistake and I put on seven by four sheets. Oh! And if I put the wrong sheets on your beds, the manager will say to me... Look, miss, can't... if I get up, I'll start walking the floor. And if I start walking the floor, I'll get into a bad humor. And when I go to embassy tomorrow, they'll say, Jerry Lewis, why did you faint on your radio program? And I'll say, who could help but fainting? I was excited. And they'll say, oh, talking back, eh? I guess you don't want to go on the radio very bad. And I'll say, and they'll say, and they'll fire me. It's people like you that cause unemployment. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. You've just heard the new Martin and Lewis show. If you enjoyed them, tune in again each Sunday night at the same time. And next week, our guest will be Bob Hope. This is NBC, the national broadcast. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.